the house of God again tonight. Amen. And what an honor and a privilege it is to be able to come and uh, get together around God's Word. And uh, the older I get in the Lord, and I guess the older I get in life as well, they're both going the same direction, amen. Um, but the older I get, uh, the more important the Word of God is to me, the more precious it becomes to me. And uh, I'm thankful for it. And the older I get, I find that I can, uh, I can, I, I was trying to think how to say that and say it so it doesn't sound like it's going to sound and there ain't no way of saying it other than just the way it sounds, but um, um, the older I get, the less, the more I learn the more I can live without feelings. Does that make sense to you? The older I get, I don't have to have, I, I, I love feelings, don't get me wrong about that. I'm thankful for them. And I, I, the Bible tells us one of the dangers we have is, uh, is a generation that gets past feeling, uh, feeling the Word of God. And you got to have feeling the Spirit of God and the power of God moving. But I can sense the power of God moving without feelings. Does that make sense to you? And I don't want to sound like that I'm against feelings. I'm not against them at all, and I'm for them. Um, but if I've got a Bible, as long as I've got the Word of God, I can live by the Word of God. Amen. And I may, I may get to the place I have no feelings, but if I can, if I can read that book Amen. and trust that book and believe that book, if I got feelings or not, don't change that book. Yes, that's right. But now, you've got to be careful because you've got that dead head crowd that don't ever want any feelings, and they don't know they don't know when the spirit of God's moving. They don't live by the word of God either one, and uh, so you got to be careful of that. There's got to be a balance in that. Amen. You got one crowd, and all they want is truth. They want truth, truth. They say they want truth. They don't want truth. If you preach truth to them, they get mad. But uh, there's one crowd, all they want is truth, and then one crowd, all they want is spirit. But God said He's looking for people to worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's right. So uh, I believe that, but you gotta, you got to have a balance with that. And the older I get, uh, the more that I am aware that I've, I've got to have the Bible. And if I don't have the Bible, uh, then I'm in trouble. And um, you can you be careful because your feelings can lead you astray, but that word of God is never wrong. And I have learned that in the last year more so than I've ever learned it in my life. And that is, is that no matter how you feel about a situation, the Word of God's always right. That's right. Amen. The Word of God is always right. Galatians chapter number 3. Galatians chapter number I'm going to read all 29 verses in this chapter. I'm going to deal with all 29 verses in this chapter, but I'm not going to deal with them expositionally or exegetically. I'm not going to go verse by verse through this chapter, but I am going to, every thought in this chapter, I'm going to deal with tonight. And I feel this very important 
The Bible said, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. He's asking a question. This only would I learn of you. Receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Now, verse number five, I got into a discussion with a man uh, about this verse. And he said, what about Galatians 3, 5? He therefore, we're talking about miracles being worked in our day. And I believe there are miracles in our day, but I believe God does them. Amen. I believe God does them. I don't believe, if I thought being a hen had the power to heal people, I, I, if I saw him today, I'd tell him he's, he's the biggest hypocrite and the meanest man on earth. If I had the power in my right hand yes. to heal folk, I'd go to the children's yes. hospital and walk through the cancer ward and I'd heal, heal folk. Right. Amen. Amen. I believe that's right. Jesus, the Bible said, healed all yes. that came to him. It didn't matter if you could see the disease or not see the disease. He healed them. Lame legs, lame hands, everything he healed. But that, that crowd never heals anything you can see. It's always something that you can't see. I got a bad back. Yeah. Amen. You're right. Somebody in this room's got cancer. Well, somebody in this room might have cancer. We might all have it. Well, I've been healed. Well, how did I know that? Right. See, Jesus' miracles were for signs. They were for signs. The Jews seek after signs. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So we don't, we don't, we're not looking for signs. Right. The Bible said that evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. But there shall no sign be given them, said the sign of the prophet Jonas. Says, Jonas for three days and three nights in the belly of a whale. So shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. That is the sign. Yes. Uh, the rich man in Luke chapter number 19 told Abraham, he said, Abraham, send Lazarus that he may dip his, tip, his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormenting his fame. He said, he can't go to you and you can't come to him. I'm just paraphrasing. He said, you can't go to him, he can't come to you, neither one. He said, well, would you send him back to my father's house that he may tell my for I have five brethren lest they also die and come to this awful place, this place of torment. And Abraham said, They have most in the prophets, let them hear them. He said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went of them from the dead, they would repent. He said, They will not repent, though one rose from the dead. If they hear not most in the prophets, they will not repent, though one rose from the dead. So Jesus Christ died, rose again in three days. For 2,000 years we've been telling that, and people still ain't believing. Yes. Which proves the point that Jesus made in Luke chapter number 16, verse 19 and following, on the story of hell, that men will not repent, though one rose from the dead. Amen. Men will repent because God deals with them and they choose to follow the Lord Jesus Christ or they yes, will not repent. Amen. Amen. So in verse number five, he therefore that ministereth the Spirit, capital S, he that ministereth the Spirit to you, the one who explains what's going on, the one who gives you the Spirit. <coughs> who is that? Who gives us the Spirit? Who gives us that? God gives us that. That's who gives us that. Amen. And worketh miracles among you. The one that ministers the Spirit works the miracles. Amen. Amen. That's what it, I'm not making that up. That's just what the Bible said. You know how I learned that? Grammar. That's how I learned that. That and with a comma, conjunction with a comma, ties those two thoughts together and said one is just like the other. That's a hillbilly way of saying it. 
do they hit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So does God minister the Spirit to us by the hearing of the law or by faith? By faith. He said, well, that's the way he works miracles is by faith. It's not, my, it's not that if I've got enough faith and any of you got enough faith. It's whether or not God has faith. And the Bible said, the Apostle Paul said, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself and gave himself for me. He said, that's how I live my life. I live it by the faith of the Son of God. So that's, what, that's the faith he's talking about in this text as well. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. It's evident nobody was justified before God in the sight of God by the law. Nobody was. Nobody ever was. Abraham wasn't justified by the law. He was before the law. He wasn't justified by what he'd done. He was justified by faith. Faithful Abraham, okay? But that no man is justified by the law before in the sight of God is evident. The just shall live by faith. The law and the law is not of faith. You ain't got to have faith to know the law of God. You got, you got two stone tablets. That don't take any faith to believe that that's the law of God. For faith is not the, not, if, if it is faith, then it's not of hope. But it is of hope because faith is evidence of things not seen is the evidence of things not seen. It is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We can see the law. So that's not, the law is not a faith. It never was a faith. It wasn't intended to be a faith. The law couldn't, and we're going to learn that, but the law couldn't give life. All right? The law is not a faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. So in other words, in verse number 12, the law is not a faith, it's not a faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. In other words, the man that in his heart, the law of God's been placed in him, when he lives his life, it'll look like he's trying to live by the law. He's not trying to live by the law. He's just living by the Spirit of God that's in him. And when he lives by the Spirit of God that's in him, that Spirit that wrote that law will line that man up with the law of God. Amen. Amen. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, he didn't redeem us from the law. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. What's the curse of the law? Cursed is everyone that continueth not in everything that is in the law. That's the curse of it. You got to do it all or you're guilty of it all. But Christ redeemed us from that. Praise God. So that means that when the Spirit of God inside of us is preached this morning, God has circumcised your inward man from your, from your, your spiritual man, from your carnal man. He circumcised them and made them separate. Put them separate from each other. Gave you a new spirit. And so that in that new man lives by the law of God. He loves the law of God. He delights in the law of God. We delight after the law of God, after the inward man. That's the spiritual man. But the carnal man don't like the law of God. He's not subject to the law of God. The Bible said neither indeed can be. So he never will be subject to the law of God. Some people say, well, God's trying to fix me up. God ain't trying to fix you up. God's done with that part of you that is fallen and depraved. He's done with that in the garden. He's always done with it. 
God's got a new plan, a new man and a new plan. The new man is Christ in you, the hope of glory, and the new man is to get you out of this body, out of this fallen nature, and get you into a brand new nature that can, uh, and a brand new body that'll match on the outside what's going on on the inside. So he's redeemed us from the curse of the law. Inside, as a child of God, we want to do better than we do. If you're saved by the grace of God, you want to do better than you do. The apostle Paul said it in Romans chapter number seven. He said, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I preached that here before. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He said, what I want to do good, he said, I find evil is present with me. He said, every time I start out to do good, something there's something that hinders me from doing good. So there's an inward man always wants to do good. But there's a carnal man that never wants to do good. Right. Your carnal nature has never wanted to do anything righteous and holy before God. Right. Right. <clears throat> before you were saved, you followed that natural man and therefore you never done anything righteous or holy before God. Because of that, because you have a new nature, you have a new nature that all it wants to do is righteousness and holiness. But the old man gets in the way. So Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. What's the curse of the law? If you don't continue in all of it, then you're guilty of all of it. That was basically what he was saying. You're guilty of the whole law if you transgress one part of the law. But Christ redeemed us from that. So now we want to do the whole law. That old man don't want to do any of the law. And when that old man gets in the way and that new man and it collide and the old man has the upper hand sometimes and he does, then what we have done is we have transgressed the law. So the curse of the law is you didn't do, you're guilty of all it. But no, God said, no, I've redeemed you from that. Don't give you an excuse. No license to sin there. So license to get right with God. Yes. First John 1 John 1.9 is still in the Bible. If, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. But First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want to make sure I get enough scripture in, amen. You know what I, that you know I'm not making this up, amen. It's all Bible. Praise God. That's the reason I, I, I have in the last number of years, I've always loved the Bible. Since I've been saved, I've always loved the Word. But the Word has become vitally important to me through my preaching and everything else in the last five, six, seven years. I want God to use His Word, amen. And if God uses His Word, God can use me speaking His Word. And He can take my stumbling, stammering lips and take the Word of God and proclaim the truth of the Word of God. And no matter how I do or how I act or whatever it is I do while I'm in the pulpit, if I do good or if I don't do good in the pulpit, amen, the Word of God is still true. Amen. And it still has power. It amen. still has the power to birth people in the family of God and to give Christians, praise God, victory amen. in the day and hour in which we live. Amen. So Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. So he redeemed us, and I, I, I gotta, I'm not ever gonna get to, I'll never get to all 29 verses, amen, I can't. In verse number 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. He wasn't cursed by the law. He kept all of it. But he was made a curse, willingly. He took upon himself your sin and my sin, your wrongs and my wrongs, and redeemed us from the curse of the law because he had not, he wasn't cursed by the law because he kept all of it. Right. He didn't have to redeem himself from the curse, amen. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. Now I want you to remember this phrase, though it be but a man's covenant, 
Yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds, but as many, uh, 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 not as seeds as of many, but as of one. And to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise. But God gave to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law? He asked a, he asked a question you didn't answer. Wherefore then serveth the law? Why did God give the law? If, if it's by faith and by promise, what do we need the law for? That's right. That's exactly right. That's what I was waiting on. For uh, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He said, not and to seeds, as is many, but as one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law is no more a promise, but God gave to Abraham by promise, wherefore then serve the law. It was added because of the transgressions. Why was the law added? Why did man need the law? Because of the transgressions. Why? That sin might be exceedingly sinful. That we might see, Paul said, "I had not known covetousness. I had not known. Uh, I had not known covetous. Uh, I had not known that I shouldn't steal." Basically, is what he said. And I'm having a trouble recalling the verse. He said, "I would not have known that I shouldn't steal." Said the Lord, "said Thou shalt not covet." He said, "The Lord told me that I shouldn't do that." That's the reason the law came because of transgression. All right. Uh, Till the seed should come. This is very important. I'm going to verse number nineteen is where I want to preach from tonight. Wherefore then serve the law. It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life and what I talk about what salvation gives this morning salvation gives life verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Again, them that believe. It sounds like we're talking to John again, don't it? Yeah. They're preaching the same doctrine. The Apostle John in John 1 talked about he gives power to them that believe on the name of Jesus Christ. He said the same thing. Paul said the same thing to the Galatian church. Verse number 23, but before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, I'm going to pray and I'm going to talk to you out of verse number 19 on one of the biggest words in the Bible. On one of the biggest words in the Bible. Our Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, we pray that your will would be done in this service. Help me, God, to deliver the truth of the Word of God. I thank you for the power that is in this word. I thank you for how the Spirit of God has helped me already tonight. And I am thankful for that. Lord, I pray you'd open up the heart of the hearer tonight and we'll thank you and praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Wherefore, verse number 19, then serveth the law. It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was ordained by angels in the hand of the mediator. A number of months ago, I was studying a series of messages trying to get together, my, get my thoughts together to start a series of messages on the mediatorship of Jesus Christ. Him as our mediator. The Bible said that there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. The Bible said we have not a high priest who is not able to be touched with the fingers of our infirmities, but is in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So the Bible tells us we have a mediator. The mediator is someone who is able to explain the law to, that understands the law, understands the consequences of the law, and is able to explain that law to me, but is also able to explain the law to the judge, prove to the judge that I ain't guilty. Now, that's what a lawyer is supposed to do. We don't have many that do that in our day because they're not good mediators. They're charlatans and shysters, most of them, amen. Not all of them. There are some good ones. And, uh, and I thank God for the good ones. But... I want to say to you that most of them do not understand the law. They don't understand what the judge understands about the law and they don't understand how to explain the law to the judge to prove to him that you're not guilty of what you're being accused of. So if you've got enough money, they can pay enough, enough money to the judge to get you off. Basically is how that works. If you've got enough money, you can pay the fine and get off. But that ain't what a mediator is supposed to do. A mediator is supposed to convince the judge that hey, this is what the law says and this individual is not guilty if he's not guilty. Now, they can't get an innocent man off, but they can get a guilty man off. That don't make any sense. Amen. But that's the way it works in our day. If you're guilty, they'll get you off. If you're innocent, how, they, don't, they don't know how to prove innocence of a man. They know how to prove a man's not guilty. But there's a difference between proving a man is innocent who is innocent and a man who is innocent that is guilty. You've got to lie for one, you don't the other. And it's hard to defend against a lie. You can't, listen to me, you can't disprove, you can't disprove truth. You understand that? You can't disprove truth. And you can't prove a lie. You think about that. That hits you by slow freight tomorrow morning about 3 o'clock, amen. But you can't disprove a lie. How are you going to disprove a lie? It's a lie. There ain't no proof of it. Amen. So anyway, verse number 19 is where I want to be tonight. And the word that I want us to look at in this verse is, a, is an enormous word that we skip right over many times. The Bible said it was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. I began to study the mediator work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I came down to this verse because this verse has the doctrine of the mediator in it and he deals with that in the remainder of this chapter. The Holy Ghost spoke to my heart and said, you need to read that again. You need to find out what the word IT means. What does the word it mean? What is, he, what is he referring to in it? Well, I went. I thought, well, that'll take all of 10 minutes, amen. I'll figure out what that is and then I'll go on and study my uh, message and I'm wanting to preach on the mediatorship of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I began to study what the word it means. So I gained verse number 19, wherefore then serveth the law. It was added because of transgression. Well, I said it means that it stands for the law. The Holy Ghost, God spoke in my heart and said, yes, that's right. The it does stand for that law. What does the second it stand for? So I said, well, that is, it stands for the law and he's talking about two things and he's talking about, he's talking about the law and he's talking about a promise in this text, throughout this text. So the second it, the first it stands for the law and the second it stands for a promise. And God said, you get the golden cookie. Amen. He didn't really say that. That's just my phrasing. But he said, you get the golden cookie. That is what it stands for. It stands for the promise. Which promise? 
Now there's where the golden cookie crumbled. And I didn't get the golden cookie for a long time after that. And I'm going to explain to you what God gave to me out of this text. It was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. I called, I, I couldn't figure it out. I, I couldn't even find anybody that had ever talked about it. And so I called several men that I knew, older men of God that had studied the Word of God for years and were very familiar with the Word of God. I got a bunch of different answers. A bunch of different answers. One fellow told me, he said, well, he said, I've never really studied that. He said, but I'll tell you what I've always believed about it because that's what I always heard. That's dangerous. Amen. Yes, that's what I heard. Why, how do you know that's right? Well, that's what the preacher said. Well, how do you know the preacher's right? Because he got out of the Bible. How do you know he got out of the Bible? Because that's what the preacher said. <laughs> that kind of circular reasoning gets you in trouble after a while, amen. But what I'm saying to you is, one, man, one fellow said, well, I believe that that had something to do with the law. Well, I knew that wasn't right. Couldn't be right. The law is the first it. It ain't the second it. So he said, well, I think it had something to do with the law. And when God was on the mountain with Moses, there were angels that were present and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. I said, well, who was the mediator? He said, well, the mediator was Jesus. Well, I said, well, we got that right. I know that. They don't, nobody, we don't have to argue that. Everybody knows the mediator is the Lord, Jesus Christ. But why do we need a mediator on the mountain? A mediator, listen to me. Now, a mediator is not the mediator of one, but what? Two. He's the mediator of two. But God is one. So whatever happened when this it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator, the only one present was God and the angels. And he wasn't making a promise to the angels. God is one. You're going to have to stay with me. So he's a mediator, is not a mediator one, but God is one. So now we need to, so then I said, well, I gotta find out what that word ordained means. Well, I know what ordained means, or at least I had an idea of what it meant. I have a better understanding of it now. But I talked this morning about my ordination, how that I was questioned on my doctrine and all of that. So I was questioned about that in my ordination service. You know what ordained means? You do know what it means. You don't know you know what it means, but you do know. Ordination, ordination of a man doesn't call a man to preach, does it? It don't make him a preacher. It don't empower him to preach. You know what it says? You know what it is? It's just a witness of that church that this man has shown evidence of the gospel ministry, the call of the gospel ministry on his life. And we're putting our approval on it. We believe that that's what's, that we believe God's called him and we put our approval on it. In other words, they are, ordination is simply the witness of the church that God has done a work in this man's life and put him in the ministry. That's what ordination does. That's all it does. Puts that man under authority. Gives him the power, the, uh, not the power, but the position that he needs to go out in the world and have the backing of the local church to go out and preach the word of God. Whether it's a pastor or an evangelist, does not matter. A man is to be ordained. So I said, what did the angels, or what does that mean? Well, that means that the angels were witness to this. The angels saw it. They saw what took place. And if you were to pin them down and call them into court, when God got done, when they got done, when you got done, they would say, yeah, that's exactly, we saw this happen and this is exactly what God's saying has happened. We saw it happen. We're witnesses to it. We ordained that. That's all it's saying in this verse. 
Now, so now we got to figure out what they ordained. That's the it. And that's the one that gave them so much trouble, I had to figure it out. But the answer is in this text. And God is very good about that, about not leaving you. You can go throughout all the Bible, but you can find the answer right here in Galatians chapter number 3. Now, this is what you have to remember about the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians is a book that God, that the Apostle Paul, of course God sent it by the hand of the Apostle Paul, but the Apostle Paul wrote the Galatian believers because the Galatian believers was made up of Jewish believers who had been saved by the grace of God. They had come out from under that old economy. And what had happened was is they, they, were, in a, they were in an economy where their sins, when, when they confessed their sins, I mean, they went to a temple or to a tabernacle. They saw animals sacrificed and bloodshed. They didn't have to wonder if it was shed. They saw it shed. They knew that blood was shed. They knew there was a high priest because they seen him. He had on a robe. He had on a breastplate. He had two onyx stones on his shoulders. He had on the headdress. He had all of it on. There, was, there really was a brazen altar. There was a brass laver. There was a curtain that divided the holy from the most holy place. There was an Ark of the Covenant. They, they saw it. They'd been looking at it for thousands of years. Their, their parents had seen it. Their grandparents had seen it. They saw it. And God comes on the scene. Jesus Christ comes on the scene and he takes all of that away because all it is is a type and a shadow. And said, so now you're going to have to believe by faith that there is a mercy seat in heaven and that your high priest Jesus Christ has made the sacrifice and you only have to do it one time. That's what he said. So, these Galatian believers, there's these Galatian believers that come in, these Jews that come in that creep in unawares, they say, well, you do. He does. He did make the final sacrifice, but you've still got to live by that law. He ain't done away with the law. You still got to observe the feast. You still got to observe circumcision. You still got to observe all the days, the holy days, all the sacrifice. You got to do all that. And Paul said, oh, foolish Galatians who have bewitched you, who have turned you aside from the truth that you should believe in the beginning that it is by faith and now you're made perfect by the flesh, by the works of the flesh. He said, that ain't going, why would you believe that? Why would you go back? So you have to understand that's what he's trying, the truth he's trying to convey out of, this, out of this book. He's trying to get them to understand they don't want to go back and don't have to go back under that Old Testament law. <coughs> so, it was ordained by angel, angels in the hand of mediators. So we've, we've determined what that ordination is. It is that the angels are witness. The mediator is one, Jesus Christ. There's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. There's one mediator, Jesus Christ. So, Jesus Christ was present as God and with God in John chapter number one, verse number one. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him that was made, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So I kind of got that mixed up a little bit, but you get the point. He was there, he was God, he was with God, and he was God. So that's the reason Jehovah's Witness, you have such a hard time with them. They can't determine if Jesus Christ was God or not. Well, I can tell you he was God. How do you know? Well, because the Bible says so. Well, how do you know the Bible's right? Because the one who wrote it was there. Amen. 
Jesus Christ, the one, the word in the flesh, was there when it happened, I guess he ought to know. Amen. So Jesus Christ was there. So I said, well, Lord, I got a lot of different answers on it. I said, Lord, I ain't getting no help. I said, all this stuff people are telling me sounds good. But I got to have Bible. So if they're right, you're going to have to show me in the Bible where it's at. And there's where I started eating the cookie. So I began to study, and this is what I found out. This is what God said. He said, David, this is what I said in Galatians chapter number three. Notice, he gives us the answer. It's amazing. He said, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So I said, well, God, you're talking about the promise you made to Abraham. That's what you're talking about here. So I began to study. So I went back to the book of Genesis. And I began to study where God called Abraham out of the earth of the Chaldees. So he didn't call a righteous man out. The Bible said that he was an idol worshiper. So God, didn't, God called a man out to make a nation out of him, made a covenant with that man that he would give him a son and make him a great nation who was an idol worshiper. You say, well, David, that's inconsistent with the character of God. No, it's not. Because the Bible said when we were dead in trespasses and sin, he loved us and gave himself for us. So when Abraham was dead in trespasses and sin, he loved him. And he made a covenant with him, called that man out and made a covenant with him. Well, what covenant did he make Abraham? What was the covenant? The covenant was this. You remember the story in the book of Genesis and I'm going to take for granted you know some stuff and not take it every verse. But you understand in the book of Genesis Abraham is making a sacrifice. God comes down and talks with him. said, Abraham, I want you to make a sacrifice. I want you to sacrifice three animals. I want you to split them right down the middle lay them on either side and then I'm going to come down and meet with you in between them dead animals. The Bible said he stood there all day. He kept the birds off the sacrifice. And at the, at the closing of the day, at the darkness of the day, a great darkness fell upon him. And he had a vision. And this is what he saw. He saw him and God walking hand in hand in between them sacrifices. And God made him a promise. He said, Abraham, he said, I've made you a promise. He said, but now I'm sealing the promise. He said, this is the promise I'm going to seal to you, Abraham. I've made a covenant with you. I told you, I've made you a promise that I am going to make you a great nation and you're going to have a son and all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. He said, but today, I'm going to seal that covenant with a sacrifice. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. Almost all things are by the law purged with blood. That means they're cleansed by the blood. So the covenant that God made with Abraham, God didn't need to be cleansed by that sacrifice. You know who needed to be cleansed? Abraham needed to be cleansed. God had to cleanse Abraham in, that, in the book of Genesis, he had to cleanse Abraham in that sacrifice so God could make a covenant with him. That's the reason he had to cleanse you. Because he had to make a covenant with you, but he couldn't make a covenant with a dirty vessel. So he had to clean you up so he could make a covenant with you. That's what he had to do with Abraham. And that's what he done. He cleansed Abraham with that sacrifice. And the Bible said he was a smoking furnace. 
Walking back and forth in between that sacrifice and God whispered, preached the gospel to Abraham right there, buddy. <clears throat> Bible said he did. Said God first preached the gospel to Abraham. That's pretty good, amen. You say, how, how do you like being a preacher? It's pretty good company, amen. God was a preacher and is a preacher, amen. I like it. Amen. What are you saying, brother? I'm saying God made a promise to Abraham. This is, this is God's promise to Abraham. You're gonna have a son and all the nations of the world are gonna be blessed in you. The Bible said that the law that was 430 years after the promise God had made to Abraham could not disannul the, could not disannul the promise. God made a promise to Abraham before the children of Israel went into captivity. 430 years later, they marched out on the other side of Egypt with everything Egypt on, walked into the desert, came to Sinai. God met Moses on Mount Sinai. He said, I'm fulfilling the promise that I made to Abraham. You understand? You with me? You still with me? I don't, I don't want to lose you. I know I'm belaboring some things, but I don't want to lose you. So this is what God said. God said, I made a, I made a, I made a law because of the transgression so you could see that sin was exceedingly simple so you'd understand how bad sin is. I gave you my law. But that didn't let us know the promise that I made to Abraham. So this is what God said. God said, Abraham, I made a promise to you. I'm going to give you a son. And that son's going to be a great nation. And all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you and through him. I said, well, God, it, so you're talking about the promise that you made to Abraham. God said, not exactly. He said, you need to read Galatians 3 again. So I went back to Galatians chapter number 3, begin to read again. And this is what God said. Not to thy seeds as of many but as unto thy seed as one and that seed is Isaac I think what he said he said I made a promise to you and I made a promise to the seed that you would have but that seed was never was Isaac. Righteousness was never going to come by the law. And that's the promise God made to Isaac. Listen to me. He said, this is what I've done. He said, I made a promise to you, Abraham. He said, that promise is that I would give you a son. I would bless your offspring. I would give them this land for a nation and I'll never violate that covenant. Now, have you studied the nation of Israel, the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? You studied the children of Jacob, those boys? Were they good, upstanding Christian men? Were they? I mean, they, they throw their brother in a pit and sold him, Joseph. They lied to their old daddy. They committed unbelievable atrocities against their neighbors around them. You study what they've done to the Amorites and to uh, the descendants of Shechem. I mean, they, they, and Jacob said, you have made me to stink in their nostrils. I mean, they were wicked men, these 12 men were. But this is what God said. He said, I, he said Abraham, look what he said in Galatians chapter number three. 
Verse number 15. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant. So this is what he's saying. He said, I made a covenant with a man. And that man I made that covenant to was Abraham. And I said, I will honor that covenant no matter what. The nation of Israel gets out of the land of Egypt with everything Egypt owns. They go to Mount Sinai. Moses on Sinai getting the law. And what do the children of Israel do? What are they doing? They, what did they do? They made a golden calf. The head preacher made a golden calf and then lied about it. Aaron said, they gave me their gold, I threw it in the fire and his calf popped out. That's a lie. That calf didn't pop out. They gave him all the gold and he made the calf. But God said, I gave you the law just so you'd see how sinful sin really is. But the promise I made to Abraham is still good. The nation of Israel has been cut off temporarily, but they've been cut off so that we can be grafted in. Their, their, their blindness in part today is so that we can be grafted in as Gentiles into the plan of God. But the promise God made Abraham today, 2018, is still good. God said, I'm never going to do away with that covenant. They can fuss and fight all they want to over there in the Middle East about that land, but it belongs to the Jews and it always belonged to the Jews. Amen. Why? Because of the promise God made to Abraham. But that ain't the promise he's talking about. He's using this as an example, a comparative statement. He's wanting us to understand these Galatians believers how secure they are in the promise of God and in their salvation. And so he said, this is a promise I made. He said, I made, he said, until the seed, look at your Bible, until the seed should come. Who's the seed? To whom? To whom? The promise was made. He's not talking about Isaac. And he's talking about Abraham. He's talking about Jesus Christ. He said, this is the one that I'm talking about. He said, I made a promise to him, Jesus Christ. I said, so Lord, what you're trying to tell me is and give me a comparative statement to is this. If God... <coughs> would honor a covenant that he made with a man, Abraham, to such an extent that it does not matter what that nation of Israel will do, he's still going to honor that covenant. Why is he doing that? Because of the promise that he made to his son before the world was ever formed. What promise did he make? We go back to the Bible, the book of Psalms. Jesus stood up and said it. Burnt offerings and sacrifice, would thou not have my body that has prepared me? Yes. You know what he promised his son? He promised his son a body. Do you know why he's holding that covenant he made to Abraham so hard? Because Jesus needed a body. Yes, 
You know how he was going to have a body? Through a chosen people, Israel. Through a seed that would be Isaac. That the seed should come, Christ. So he'd have a body. He said, God promised him he's going to have a, a body. Not only that, he said, I promised him a throne. He promised him the throne of his father, David. Well, there can't be a David if there ain't a nation of Israel. So God made a covenant with Abraham based on the covenant that he made with his son in eternity past. That was ordained in the hand of an angel. I would ask you if you think I'm right. I don't even have to ask you. I know I'm right. I know I may not have it all down being able to explain it as well as it needs to be explained, but I believe it, buddy. I got her down. I got her down far enough that I know what I'm talking about. I promise you it is the promise he made to Jesus. Now I'll ask you a question now. Are you a good Baptist? Good Baptists believe in eternal security. Don't they? That one fellow told me that damnable heresy of once saved, always saved. <laughs> so why are you saved? Why are you saved? Why is God keeping his promise to you? Because of the promise he made to his son. That's why we're saved. So if the nation of Israel could not disannul the promise, no matter how bad they get, and God would honor that, the covenant that he made with a man, and this is what he said to his son. Jesus said, Of all them that thou hast given me, I have lost none of them, save the son of perdition, who was a devil from the beginning. He, ne he didn't lose him. He never was his. Judas never was Jesus's. He was a devil from the beginning and he stayed a devil. He lost none of them. He said that my father who is greater than all hath given them unto me and no man can pluck them out of my hand. That's a promise he has from his father. You know what the other promise is? All that come to me, I will know I was casting out. That's a promise. How did he know that? He got that promise from his father. If anybody come to me, I will know I was cast him out. And no man can come unto me except what? The Father which has sent me, draw him. That's right. That's so he got a promise somewhere from his Father that his Father would draw all men to him. How do you know that? The Bible said, as the serpent was up in the, in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. He's talking about the promise that his father made to him. This is what I want to tell you tonight. And we're scared to death to preach this in our day. And that's the reason we have people who have believed down through the years that you could lose your salvation because they've seen a lot of Baptist folk that claim to get saved and live like a devil all their life and they think they're still dying going to heaven. I told a good man, a good man that I know, who believes you can be saved and lost. And I told him, I said, me and you would look at the same people and say, I believe they're lost. But you'd say they had it and lost it and I'd say they never had it. That's the difference. 
Why is that? Because my salvation, my security, all of that is not based, is not based on the law. The transgression, I've been redeemed from the curse of the law. The law, I, I may not keep all of it, but I've been redeemed from that curse. Amen. It's not based on the promise God made to Abraham. It's based on the promise God made to his son. Amen. And if God would keep the promise that he made to Abraham, a man's covenant, an earthly promise to an earthly people, he would keep that. Right. Brother Jason, how much stronger do you think he'll keep the promise that he made to his son? What are you saying, Brother David? I'm saying we're so saved, amen, it's pitiful. You can swing out over hell on a rock grapevine tonight and you still ain't gonna fall in if you're saved by the grace of God. Amen. Now let me give you the balance of that. I had a man tell me, we were talking about this, we were having a debate, a live debate on the radio. He was talking about eternal security. And this is what he said. He said, if I believe what you believe, I'd live any way I wanted to. I'd go out and live any way I wanted to live if I thought I could still die and go to heaven. I said, if that's the way you feel, you've never been saved. He about swallowed his teeth. Because we're live on the radio, there ain't no delay, amen. They couldn't bleep it out or nothing else. That's the danger of doing live radio with Brother Wells, amen. <laughs> you listening to me? And I said, if you believe that, you've never been saved. you know why? Because the same grace that saved us, that same grace teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to walk in truth. That's what grace teaches. Grace don't teach lasciviousness. Grace don't teach loose living. Grace teaches living closer than the law could ever teach. Because the law dealt only with the outward man, the grace deals with the heart. I was talking to an, I was talking to a 91-year-old saint of God, Miss Ruth, up in Monticello, Indiana. I, I was preaching a meeting. You'll forgive me. I was preaching a meeting in a United Methodist Church. Amen. I built dog boxes for years, and I called them the preacher's box. That's what I named them because that's what everybody else called them. And I built dog boxes for coon hunters and beagle hunters and things of that nature. And for about 10 years, I built dog boxes. And I had my name and my number on that dog box. And a fellow out of Monticello, Indiana called me. He said, I, I want to order some boxes from you. He said, I got another question. He said, are you really a preacher? I said, yes, sir, I really am. He said, well, listen. He said, we ain't had a revival in 35 years at my church. And they put me in charge of the revival committee. And I don't even know who to call to get for a revival. Would you come preach a revival for us? <laughs> I said, well, where do you go to church? He said, Some, the United Methodist Church there in Monticello, Indiana. I said, sir, you better get on our website and listen to me preach a little bit before you have me come. I'm probably not what you're used to. So I, I went up there and uh, I went up there and finally this man who called me, he was lost. He got saved in the meeting. We had seven people saved in a weekend meeting. It was a pretty good meeting, amen. Uh, but you know what they all had to do? They all had to leave because they had a woman preacher. He called me one day after he got saved. He said, hey, I've been reading the book of Timothy. I don't think a woman's supposed to pastor, is she? I said, nope, she ain't. He said, well, why, why do we have one? I said, I don't know. <laughs> he said, I, I'm going to have to leave that church. I said, probably. He said, were you telling me to leave? I said, no, I ain't telling you to leave, but if God's telling you to leave, you better leave. Amen. He left, amen. amen. And so anyway, there was no saint of God in that church, Miss Ruth. She was 91 years old. 
and she listened to me preach, she loved it. She said, Brother Wells, I'm telling you, when I was a little girl, all the Methodist preachers preached just like you do. She said, I don't even know if we got any preachers anymore. That's, that's sad. She said, but, she said, I love your preacher. She loved me to death. She said, but I could never be a Baptist. I said, well, Miss Ruth, why not? She said, because y'all believe in that once saved, always saved. And I started explaining to her that it, we, did, we do believe that. We also believe that a person who's saved has changed life. Right. And I'm telling you, if Baptist folk preached that and believed that, there wouldn't be as many, near as many denominations that split off of them and had to start their own thing because they had a bunch of Baptists that lived like the devil, amen, all the time and would live separated in holy, holiness. Ain't a, ain't a denomination. Holiness is an attribute of God and a way of life, amen. And Miss Rhodes explaining all that to Miss Ruth. She said, Well, I'm not sure you're a Baptist. She said, <laughs> I said, Well, I thought it was. Amen. But our security is not based on a promise that God made to Abraham, it's not based on a promise that He made to Isaac, it's not based on a promise that He made to Moses. And listen to me. It ain't even based on a promise he made to you. It's based on a promise that he made to his son. Now, that's what is my question for you. What sin could you commit after you get saved? What sin can you commit after you get saved? Any sin. Is that not right? You can commit any sin that you've ever committed. You commit that sin after you get saved. What sin could you commit then that would cause him to renege on his promise to his son? No sin. Why? Because we have been redeemed from the curse of the law. Amen. Amen. <laughs> You see, Brother David, you say, Brother David, I'd be afraid to preach that because I'm afraid my people would go out and live wicked and ungodly in the sight of God. No. Can I go back to where we started? Yes, Not sir. if they talked to the mediator, they wouldn't. Right. <laughs> if they'd been talking to the mediator, amen, he'll explain it to them. Yes. He's good at his job. Amen. He's a great mediator. It's amazing. The covenant of God and the covenants that God has made with His Son and with us because of His Son are beyond our ability to comprehend and understand. But Brother Jason, he can take old country boy that don't know how to do nothing but measure roofs and give figures. That's pretty good smart. I don't know that I can do that. But he can take old country boy don't know more than that and explain and mediate and explain the covenant of God to him. And him understand it perfectly. And get saved by the grace of God. And he can take a mechanical engineer and explain to him, he'll understand it perfectly and get saved by the grace of God. Amen. He can take a 90-year-old man that's been all over the world, done everything, seen everything, and everything else, and mediate the covenant of God to him and explain it to him, and that man can understand it and get saved by the grace of God. And he can take a 9-year-old boy or a little girl and mediate the covenant to him, and they understand it all. Amen. Why? He's a good mediator. 
for 27 years, praise God. He's been behind the covenant of God to me. He's been explaining the promises. Amen. That's what he's been doing out of this text. Amen. Galatians chapter number three, always been in my Bible and I couldn't tell you how many times I've read it. But I was reading it one day in that mediator. Praise God, Brother John. I, I, there'd been people told me, I told you this morning, told me I was lost and on my way to hell. But that morning, in the front seat of that blue 76 Ford Granada, the mediator sat down and started explaining it. And it's a different story when he started explaining it. I didn't understand it when everybody else said it. I didn't understand it when Donnie said it. But when God spoke to my heart, I understood exactly what he meant. Galatians chapter number three been in my Bible all these years. I've read it and read it and read it and read it and read it. But I was sitting there that morning in my recliner reading through that text. You know what? The mediator sat down beside of me. said, hey, Dave, you better read that again. I got something I want to mediate to you. There's something about this promise I want to explain to you. I want to explain to you another facet of the promise that I made to you. I want to explain to you a little bit about the grace that I've shown you. I'm a I'm not a Bible scholar at all. I am a, I try to be a student of the Word of God. I don't know that I've ever met a scholar, and I've met some smart men, but a scholar means simply the definition of means someone who has studied a subject exhaustively. I don't know that I've met anybody like that, because you can't exhaust that book. Right. But I've met some smart men. But I am a student and I am a Bible teacher. I'm a Bible teacher at our school. I teach a Bible class every Wednesday to junior high level students. And I love it. I love teaching. I'm not a teacher, but I love teaching because I love to see children and people learn. I like it. And you, you, you ladies that have taught your children or been in teaching at all, you understand what I'm saying. You're trying to explain it, you're trying to explain it, you're trying to explain it, and then all of a sudden, the light bulb pops on, and they got it. You don't know why they got it or why they wasn't getting it, but for some reason, they got it. Amen. And that's the way I feel like God is with me. He's a patient teacher, amen. amen. He's a patient mediator. He's explained it to me, little by little and exposing, little by little, the plan, purpose, promise of God. And then the light bulb comes on. I think, Lord, I've really learned something. And then he shows me something else and I think, you know what? I ain't learned nothing. <laughs> but this is what I know. Now, mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Verse number 21, is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which would have, could have given life, very little righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise might be by faith. What promise? Every promise. That the promise, he just says the promise, every promise might be by faith. So the promise he made to Abraham was accepted by Abraham by faith. 
The promise that was made to Isaac was accepted by Isaac and received by Isaac by faith. The promise God made to you when he saved you was a promise that was received by faith. But hold on. The promise that he made to his son was received by his son by faith. Do you believe Jesus Christ has faith? Well, the Apostle Paul said he did. I quoted earlier today, I think, or maybe even tonight, or maybe quoted this morning and tonight, but I'm going to quote it again. And the life that I live in the flesh, that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Not faith in Him. Faith of Him. By the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I'm living by His faith. Amen. The same faith that He had when God made Him the promise. <laughs> I know that's deeper than we can think and wrap our mind around, but it's still good, amen. You 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 know what this I'm telling you something it's kind of it's I, I wake up sometimes I woke up this morning two or three o'clock in the morning thinking about this message and I got thinking about it again and I was just laying there looking up at the ceiling my wife was asleep beside of me I was just laying there looking up at the ceiling I was thinking God I can't wrap my mind around it I don't know if I can try to explain it again I can't get it explained Lord I'm trying but I can't get it out <laughs> so I just believe you Lord. There is nothing you can do that could separate you from the love of God. That's what Paul said. Right. Every death, and life, things present, things to come, things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Brother David, I'd be afraid. I'd be afraid to preach that because I'd be afraid that people would take that as a license to sin. Again, not those who have talked to the mediator don't think yet. <laughs> them who have the mediator, Jesus Christ, explaining the covenant of grace and God to them, they're not having no trouble. We want what they're having trouble. With, they're having trouble with worldliness in their life. We all have trouble with it. But we're fighting it. We hate it. Every ounce of it. I had a fellow last year that I've preached for many times and I hadn't been back and don't know if I'll ever go back. But I, I was preaching and this is what he said. He said, Brother David, your problem is you hate sin too much. I said, well, brother, I'll tell you something. I said, I do hate it. But I want you to know something. I hate, I hate it worse than what I see in my life than what I see in yours. I'm, I'm not near as hard on you and I ain't near as hard on the people I preach to as I am on myself. I promise you that. And so I'll end with this illustration. My wife and I, we were talking uh, today, I think we've been married February, it'll be 31 years. Praise God, amen. That's the grace of God. But my wife, she loves me. 
She cares for me. She tries to be everything that she needs, that I need her to be. And I love her. Thank God for her. I'd do anything in the world for that little woman sitting right there within my ability to do. I, 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 ain't, I ain't been able to do everything I wanted to do for her down through the years, Brother Jason. I ain't been able to do everything I wanted to do. But I'd do anything in the world that I could for her because I love her. <coughs> but I don't love her. I don't love her, Brother John. I don't love her because of what she can do for me. She, there may come a day she's in a coma and can't do nothing for me. But I'll still love her. Amen. You know why? Because of the covenant I made with her. Amen. She may lose her mind don't even know who I am. She may turn against me completely. I may do that. I'm just saying from my example, it could happen to me. But mentally, she could lose her mind. But I'll still love her. Why? Because she's what she know. Because of what she's done? No. Because I made a covenant with her that I'd love her. I'll tell you something. The only example given in the Bible, comparative example, between Christ and His people is the marriage relationship of a man and a woman. And if you think that a man could love a woman like that, how much more does God love you? Miss <laughs> Sue, how long have you been saved? Do you know... How many years you've been saved? Um, when did you first about start? About 30 years. About 30 years. 67. Yeah. 69. Miss Lucy, how, how long have you been? Since I was 18. 18 years. And both of these ladies are sitting here tonight saved by the grace of God. But I'm not going to say for sure, but I almost can say for sure. I'd probably say since you've been saved. You've probably sinned against God. Regretfully so. See, that's a child of God. Yeah, that's a child of God. Regretfully so. But He didn't just up and kick you out. <laughs> he didn't just up and boot us out of the family. He said, you're mine. I'm going to chasten you. I've got to correct you, but you're mine. And I, if 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 what I'm the point I'm trying to get across to you is, God did not do that because He saw something good in you. He didn't do that for you, ladies, because that He saw one day you might, you would be faithful and be in the house of God. He didn't do that. He said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna just keep loving them and." They're going to stay in my family because I made a promise to my son. And my son sitting right over there has been perfect. And I love him. And everything he's done has pleased me. There ain't no way I can ever go back on the promise I made him. 
I don't know what kind of I don't know what kind of life you got, but the only kind of life God gives is eternal, everlasting life. Amen. Does that mean that we have a license to sin? You know better than that. You know what grace does? Grace don't give us a license to sin. You know what it gives us a license to do? Not to sin. It don't give us liberty to sin. It gives us liberty not to sin. That's what it does. It gives us liberty not to sin. It gives us liberty to walk with God. That's all grace does. Grace gives all kinds of liberty. Sin gives bondage. I'll ask you a question tonight. Say, Brother David, I'm saved. Tonight, what we have discovered is why we're safe in that salvation. This morning I preached about salvation, giving your all to God. Tonight I'm talking about to you about what God's gave you as a child of God. It's amazing, ain't it? God. If I had a if I had a title for the ver- for the message tonight, it would be this. Standing on the promise. I've been singing that for the last couple of days around the house. Standing on the promises of Christ my King Through eternal ages let His praises ring Glory in the highest I will shout and sing Standing on the promise of God Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises I cannot fail When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail By the living word of God I shall prevail Standing on the promises of God Standing, standing Standing on the promises of God my Savior Standing, standing I'm standing on the promises of God. Amen. <laughs> Steadfast and sure. Amen. Fathers, we come before you throne.